Well, this morning uh, we are finishing up the book of Acts and have intentionally uh, uh, felt that it was best for us to conclude uh, this morning and to start something uh, new in August. And so we've passed over uh, Paul's uh, defense before Felix and his appeal to Caesar, as well as to Agrippa and Bernice. And that brings us to chapter 27, and it's very closely linked to chapter 28. I'm not going to read chapter 27, but let me summarize what takes place in this chapter. Paul describes with great detail. In fact, you almost feel like you need a manual on ancient (laughs) nautical uh, practices and and a close nautical map of the Mediterranean to understand this chapter uh, fully. And he describes about their being caught in a terrible storm for two weeks. Just imagine being at sea for two weeks buffeted by wind and waves, so violent that not only you don't eat, but you wonder whether you can survive. Sailors do everything they can to ensure uh, their survival. They first of all throw overboard the ship's cargo and the profit, any profit that would have been there. Then they throw over the ship's tackle And then finally the ship is run aground and the power of the waves breaks up the stern. There is a large number of prisoners on board and the the soldiers do not want a single prisoner to escape and so they intend to kill them all, including Paul. But the centurion who's been won over by uh, Paul does not let them. And we join them, they all reach safely the shore. So if you wish... Please join us as we stand to hear the word of God. Acts chapter 28. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that this good seed of your word would be sown into our hearts and our minds and our lives. And that uh, neither uh, the temptations of this life nor the cares of this uh, world uh, would keep this seed from producing 40, 60, 100 fold in our lives. Meet us with your spirit as we read. In Christ's name, amen. After we were brought safely through, then we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us because it had begun to rain and was so cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. While they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place uh, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. 
It happened that the father, Publius, lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regan. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petolia. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all all boldness and without hindrance. You may take your seats. Well, it just doesn't feel like an ending. What happens next? Does Paul stand trial before Caesar? Is he acquitted? Why does Luke stop here? Did he run out of space on his scroll? 
<laughs> Did he realize how frustrated his readers in the future uh, would uh, be? Well, I don't think that either of those is true, that he ran out of space or he intended to frustrate us. Instead, his purpose is something like an assignment my daughter Elizabeth had in elementary school. In literature class, they read a book uh, that was situated in occupied Europe during World War II. And after they'd finished reading it, the teacher told them to write a book report. Now, not one of those things where, you know, you summarize the book and say whether you liked it or not. No, they were to continue the story. They were to write the next chapter of that story. And this is what Luke intends. Uh, Now, Luke is a great admirer of the Apostle uh, Paul, but the book of Acts is not a biography of Paul or any of the Apostles. No, it's an account of the Christian uh, movement. It is the Acts of the risen and exalted Christ from heaven through his church. That's what the introduction uh, tells us. And Jesus says it's right at the very beginning that the Spirit of God will come and you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And really for 20-some sermons now, we have seen, in fact, that the church has been compelled, sometimes gladly and willingly, and other times uh, by persecution, sometimes a very reluctant apostle is uh, asked to do something he ordinarily would not do, that he naturally would refuse. And we've also seen that uh, just the entire church, its ordinary rank and file, uh, shared the gospel of Jesus where they went. And the church also planned intentionally and sent out missionaries to advance the spread of the gospel. And so the book of Acts is a book of movement. It is the Christian uh, movement. And it ends with these last two verses. Paul is proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, the king in his kingdom, the irresistible kingdom. And it's supreme king. But Paul is bound. But the gospel, the word of God, is not bound. And even there in that house, uh, chained to a guard, the gospel moves forward. Ending this way is not just Luke's, but the Holy Spirit's way of inviting the readers of Acts to respond to write the next chapter, to continue the story of the expansion of the church. And we've seen this time and time again, that the gospel was communicated to all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Scythians, uh, to all classes of people, slave and free, the rich, the poor, to men and uh, women, to the sophisticated city people, and, well, to country folks, to slaves and kings. And when we look at the book from this angle, we can ask, what is it, as Luke writes these last two chapters, does he want us to see? What are the takeaways for us to write the next chapter in the book of Acts? We 
see confidence and clarity and concern. Well, these three C's, and we need these three C's, or we won't write the chapter that the Spirit calls us to do. Confidence and clarity and concern. We gain confidence as we put our trust in the sovereignty of God. We gain clarity about what message it is we are to communicate, and we demonstrate concern for the people who don't yet know they need a Savior by building bridges to them. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, I'm just really delighted you're here. And you may say, well, why would I want to listen to this? Sounds like this is something for, well, this is just for Christians. Well, I want to ask you, can you afford uh, to ignore the reality of God's irresistible kingdom? You really want to take that risk. Now, just think with me for a moment. One of the reasons great stories have their power is that they mirror what's real. And one of the great stories of the 20th century is the Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's a, it's, it mirrors reality in two ways. One, it's a story about a great battle between good and evil, that there's a pervasive non-material evil that's bent on the destruction of humankind and planet Earth. And there's hope in the, in the Hobbit Frodo Baggins. The very power of this story is it reflects, in fact, our experience. We know that there's powerful evil at work. Evil that's hard to account for. Uh, from the cruelty of the war in the Ukraine's. Uh, to the ethnic cleansing uh, that happens. It seems like every 20 years, some people group decides to eliminate some other uh, people group. From the brutality of uh, rulers who starve their people uh, to death in order uh, to control them. Uh, To the violence on our streets that's so uh, senseless. And we also, if we're honest, recognize that evil runs through our lives, that we ourselves experience powerful desires, and we often regret acting uh, on them, Uh, that uh, we do things uh, that we know hurt other people, that we recognize as wrong. We abuse our freedom, uh, power if we have it, money, uh, sex, But there's hope. The hope that's real is not the purity of the heart of a hobbit uh, who will risk his life to destroy the ring of power. No, but in God the creator who has entered human history in the person of his son and who has uh, taken evil upon himself and died in our place in order to free us uh, from that uh, evil, to liberate uh, us. As he dies and is risen from the dead and is now ascended to heaven. It is he who is the king uh, that is reigning. It is his kingdom that's been proclaimed uh, throughout the book of Acts. It's his kingdom that Paul is uh, speaking to people about. Now chapters 27 and 28, the story of the storm and Paul's arrival in Rome are linked together. And there's a single word that links them together. It's the word safe. It's the, it's the vocabulary of salvation. And uh, uh, we'll see uh, just a moment God's 
active and gracious presence is what's brought Paul uh, safely to the shore into Rome. But if we look back over, well, really the whole book, but we'll just look back over chapters 21 uh, to 28, uh, we uh, can gain confidence in God's sovereignty, that we can trust that God is really sovereign. Luke has chronicled the hostility of the Jews, the riots in Jerusalem, the fickle and unprincipled rulers of the Roman Empire, the sea, the storm, the soldiers bent on killing, Paul and the others, and then a Maltese snake. And uh, these last uh, section of Acts, everything seems to be seen after seen conspiring to keep Paul from reaching Rome which Christ has summoned him uh, uh, to go to. And Luke, he spends a whole chapter on the storm. He could have summarized the story of the storm in a couple of sentences, but he doesn't. And the reason is, is that the sea in the Old Testament is a symbol of the evil powers that oppose God. Behind the forces of the nature, the wind, the water, and the snake, and the actions of men, the schemes and the plots and the threats are dark demonic forces. And this invisible war is chronicled uh, throughout the whole of the Bible. It begins in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it runs through Pharaoh seeking to destroy the Israelites through Haman's plan to annihilate the Jews to Herod's slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem for fear that a king has been born through the Jewish high council delivering Jesus to the Romans and they're silencing the apostles. And now through the storm, the evil one attempts to keep the gospel from advancing. And Jesus promised that Paul would reach Rome safely. And really what keeps us on our edge of our seat for the last nine chapters is how will he get there? And we see that Paul is continually rescued by God's powerful hand. And Luke makes this plain with the vocabulary of salvation. Four times in chapter 27, he, re, he uses that word. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Verse 20, Paul said to the centurion and the soldier, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Verse 31, verse 44, the last verse of the chapter reads this way. And the rest made for land on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And then chapter 21, 28, verse 1 begins, after we were brought safely to land. You see, God has directed in all these events, and it's, this is his providential uh, ruling uh, to advance uh, his purposes to bring the message of Jesus even uh, to Rome. And as Paul arrives in Rome as a prisoner in chains, God sovereignly advances the progress of the gospel through this. Paul, under house arrest, is able to speak constantly to the flow of people that come uh, to his house to talk to them about Jesus and the good news. He speaks to all these soldiers that are chained uh, to him as they rotate through. And many people... Paul tells us in one of his letters, even in Caesar's household, come to hear the gospel. Even in its own way, uh, Paul's suffering authenticated the message, for he followed a suffering Savior. Now, our challenge today is this. 
that while we gladly confess that Christ is king, and we know we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, we just see obstacles all around us, don't we? We look around us and we think Christianity is viewed as irrelevant or oppressive, that the Bible is unopened and unknown, and therefore all the ways we would ordinarily talk about salvation don't mean anything to the people we encounter. The idea of objective universal truth is gone. Good is called evil, and evil is called good. And we can focus on this. We can become angry about it. We can become sullen and depressed and ultimately passive, thinking, well, there's no point. After all, our neighbors and our nation are not receptive to the gospel. Um, Really, all is lost. The best we can do is hide in our churches, be as comfortable as possible as we watch everything crumble around us. But if we see that all the forces that were arrayed against Paul in the gospel in the book of Acts, and we realize that God is ruling sovereignly over them to advance the gospel, when we see that there's no power, no evil, no foe, no plan, no philosophy, no movement in society that can withstand the reign of Christ, then we'll see that there are, in fact, opportunities around us. There are people whom God has prepared who will respond to the gospel. Our confidence or our despair and hopelessness are a gauge of how much we actually trust that God is sovereign, that he's ruling in the times that we live. Our discouragement is not a faith, and where despair clouds our vision and immobilizes it, we need to repent. We need to lift our eyes uh, to the throne. The king is sitting on the throne. And uh, we need to repent of our uh, assessment, our thinking we are wise and we uh, know better than God does what time we should live in. We must repent of thinking nothing can happen in our uh, day. And we must return to just the foundations that faith comes by hearing. People uh, have to hear the gospel uh, to respond to it in faith. And it has to be spoken by uh, someone. It has to be spoken uh, to our, our neighbors and our friends. You see, we need to fill the theaters of our hearts and minds with the story we see in the book of Acts, with the advance of the gospel in spite of all the obstacles, it encounters this most unlikely progress that takes place. When we do that, we'll be enabled to write the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. If we trust in God's sovereign and providential control of the times we live in, we'll be able uh, to take up and finish our part of that story. One of the things that is easy to miss in the Bible is what's not said. After all, it's not, not said. And when you stop a moment and think what Luke does tell us and doesn't tell us about Paul's entry to Rome, one of the things you should realize is he's completely disinterested in describing the sights and the sounds and the symbols of the city which any visitor would have encountered coming from the coast into the city. You know, the victory columns, the temples of the gods Jupiter and Juno, 
that were reminders that Rome was supreme. The imperial palaces, the, the hippodrome, the amphitheater, um, all that dotted the city that reinforced that Rome was a power to be reckoned with and feared. Luke instead, what he shows us is the message of the kingdom is being preached by a lowly apostle in chains. And it's so that we might gain clarity about the message that we are given to communicate. Now, we are easily tempted, and I suppose uh, in, uh, we who live around the metro Washington area are perhaps more prone to this than people out in the Midwest might, of thinking there is power just south of us. That's where the quadrants of uh, power are. That's where the symbols are. Uh, we're impressed with military uh, might, with wealth, with architecture, and all the metrics of worldly uh, success. But when Paul enters Rome in AD 60, the great people of that city basically don't notice him. As he takes up residence in a house waiting for his trial, no reporters are standing out the door to interview him and ask about what's going on. But Luke tells us two things at the very end, the last uh, two verses in our Bibles. And that is that Paul welcomed all who came uh, to see him. His doors were open to everyone, Jew or Gentile. And then he tells us what it is that Paul said to people, that he proclaimed and taught the kingdom of God and, and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two themes run through the entire book of Acts. It begins with Jesus, the disciples asking about the kingdom of God and Jesus standing with them and, and pointing them uh, to the reality of the kingdom, even though it wasn't in the form they expected. The kingdom of God is present uh, when the lordship of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And the message of the kingdom of God is more than simply a message addressed to us as individuals and about freedom and change in our lives. Oh, it's not less than that. It's more than that because it includes Christ reclaiming all of life, all of public life, all of private life, the government, the academy, the arts, every kind of employment and labor, every sphere of human activity. Jesus came so that we might be reconciled uh, to God, so that humanity could return uh, to the task of building a culture that glorifies God. And that can only happen when we recognize and live out the implications of God having created us and his ownership of us, uh, and that his glory uh, rightfully belongs in center place in not just our personal lives, but in the life of human society. Only then will we endeavor uh, to take up this task of bringing about a culture that brings glory to God. And we gain clarity when we see that the message of the kingdom is focused on Jesus, the king. The gospel message is bad news before it's good news. It's news that every one of us is enslaved to sin, that we're driven by evil desires and impulses, that the imaginations of our hearts are only and always evil. Our minds and thinking are darkened, and that's the tragedy. We are deeply deceived about how much is wrong. And the good news is that God himself and Jesus has bled for man, that 
he cheerfully and consistently uh, loves, cherishes, and uh, forgives. Having given his life and rising uh, from the dead, he's overcome our powerlessness. And he's uh, freed us uh, through uh, his reign as our great king. Uh, When this is believed, extraordinary things happen. Zacchaeus climbs up a sycamore tree and he climbs down a saint. Paul is sent out as the hatchet man of the Pharisees and he comes back a fool for Christ. This transformation takes place when we acknowledge our brokenness and sinfulness and turn to Jesus. One writer puts it this way, nothing can hinder this proclamation, not the calloused hearts of the Jews or the idolatrous imaginations of the Gentiles, not reluctance by Peter or the persecution of Saul, not the martyrdom of Stephen or the beheading of James, not the angry judgment of the Sanhedrin or the imperial indifference of Felix and Festus, not the might of the Mediterranean storm or the bite of the Maltese stake, In the face of any potential hindrance, the Holy Spirit fires a boldness in unschooled and provincial Galilean fishermen, just as much in the highly trained and cosmopolitan Pharisee Paul. This is the story of God at loose, and nothing will hinder the power and expansion of his kingdom. And you see, the challenge for us today is actually to speak the message of this king and his kingdom. To be equipped so that we can actually speak about Jesus in a way that's comprehensible, that's attractive, that connects to the longings and hopes of the people of our time, just as Paul does with the Jews. That's that's what he's talking about, their hope, their longing uh, for the Messiah. Now, in my experience, there are just two kinds of Christians There are Christians who see themselves as ambassadors. They represent Christ. They look for every opportunity they can uh, to point people to Jesus, to speak about him. They're not very concerned about whether people respond to them or not, whether people reject them or not. They're much more concerned about pleasing uh, the king. Not that they're rude. I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that they're uncaring. No, they're caring but they just won't let that hold them back. And there's a second kind of Christian, which I've been far too often, who comes to church, who reads their Bible and prays, uh, who seeks to walk in obedience, but is silent. He's just silent about Jesus and his kingdom. You see, we're called to be an outpost of the, the kingdom of God where we live out the values of the kingdom uh, in, in thick community and that we communicate about the king with those around us. This is September when Sunday school restarts. There's going to be equipping. Are you equipped to share your faith? Do you have the tools that you need to do that? Maybe you've had them in the past and they're rusty. Maybe you can't find them anymore. Uh, You've forgotten where you put them. And I I hope uh, that you will take advantage of that. It's only when we understand the message and communicate it that we can write the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. When we're confident uh, and we understand our role in communicating, we have one more thing to take from this. 
and is that we need to demonstrate our concern. And the way that we get to do that is by building bridges. Paul does this three days after arriving in Rome. He summons all the leaders of the Jewish community. He meets with them and he affirms the goodness of Judaism and his loyalty to it. And he seeks an opportunity to show them that Christianity is, in fact, all that they have hoped for. It is the fulfillment of all their expectations in the Old Testament. And Luke tells us that some were persuaded. It wasn't that no one was persuaded. Some responded. Paul is constantly uh, building uh, bridges. Um, uh, When they land on the island of Malta, the most prominent man on the island, perhaps the wealthiest man, perhaps also the most politically connected man, hosts probably all 276 of them uh, for three days. A man of substantial means to do that. Um, And uh, Paul learns that the host's father is ill. He goes and prays on him and, and he's healed. And sure enough, the island comes to him. Everybody who's sick comes to Paul to heal. You see, with such acts of care and goodwill, relationships form. And even though Luke doesn't tell us this, it is hard to imagine that the Apostle Paul in those three months did not speak the gospel uh, to the people on that island. I think we can be sure he did. Paul wins over Julius. How? Well, it's because Paul developed winsome friendships with people. He loved people where they were. And that's in part uh, why uh, Julius uh, seeks to preserve Paul's life. The guards that rotate next to Paul discover a man who's intriguing, uh, a man who listens to them well, and in turn, well, earns the right to be heard. And undoubtedly, they heard directly from Paul when uh, just the two of them, and they overheard Paul as he greeted his guests. You see, the challenge for us is to build bridges of friendship and goodwill and kindness and hospitality and care and serve needs. Jesus said, we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. How can we be a light if the only place the light shines is in here? or perhaps in our homes? How can we be the salt of the earth if we're not in contact with the people who need that saltiness? You see, it's very comfortable. It feels safe to keep uh, to ourselves. We don't have to take a risk. We don't have to face how timid we actually are. We don't have to learn how to listen and love people who are unlike us who don't share our values, who uh, think we're very confused, some of who think we are positively a danger. Nancy and I have dear friends we've known for 25 years in Atlanta, and they just exemplify salt and light to me. They, uh, Jeff and Michelle, uh, 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 have wherever they've lived in the Atlanta area, uh, they have looked for opportunities to get to know their neighbors, to love their neighbors. Jeff has climbed on more than one roof, helped with more uh, than one uh, project around the house, cut up trees uh, that fell in people's yards in storms, raked their lawns, uh, mowed them. Uh, uh, Meals have been cooked. Uh, Children have been cared for. Uh, Michelle uh, walked 
uh, many times a week with one of her neighbors, listening to her life, listening to her story, and as an opportunity presented itself, sharing about what mattered to her most. And we together, you together, whether it's as a small group or as a church as a whole, can build bridges too. It's not just all on you as an individual. Um, you'll, have to, uh, you'll have to try some things. You have to accept that some of those things are not going to work. You're just going to fail at some of those. That's how you learn. It's amazing how much you learn from your failure. But together we can build uh, bridges. Christ is ministering from heaven in word and deed through his church. And the question is, is whether we will be a part of what he's doing, whether we will join in writing the 29th chapter of Acts or not. It will be written with or without us because God's purposes won't fail. But he intends for us to know the joy, the excitement, yes. On the storm, it was probably didn't feel very safe. <laughs> and his keeping as we take risks. May God grant that it would be so with us. Let me pray for us. Gracious uh, Father, we thank you for Luke's carefully researched account. We, Lord, are challenged by what we've read here. Fill us with faith that we might respond, that we might respond wholeheartedly to your purposes for us. We lift our eyes to you and ask that these stories, which are our stories, that they are your story and we would live out our part in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.